BDC, the Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs, is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. The Scotiabank Women Initiative is a signature program designed to increase economic opportunity for individuals who identify as women or non-binary to be successful now and in the future. This unique offering helps women pursue their best professional and financial futures by providing unbiased access to capital and tailored solutions, bespoke specialized education, holistic advisory services, and mentorship. For more information, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Welcome to the Startup Women Podcast, a show where we connect you, Canada's powerful cohort of women-identifying founders, to real stories and case studies of women-building businesses, supported by true, tactical advice from thought leaders and industry experts. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO of Startup Canada. Each month, I'll be sharing the mic with one founder and one expert. Together, we will dive into real stories and scenarios and uncover actionable advice for women entrepreneurs across Canada. From funding and hiring to sales and scaling strategies, on this show, we cover the most important topics so you can deconstruct the challenges of starting and running a business with knowledge that goes beyond the surface level. Let's get started. Megan and Marie Wright are twin sisters and co-founders of Mirror Image Media, a full-service video production company based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, creating documentaries and corporate videos for brands such as CBC, NFB, Vice, United Way, Billabong, and the Canadian Cancer Society. They wear many hats as directors, cinematographers, and editors, and know that their brand and customer experience is deeply felt and celebrated because of who they are as humans first. So what does this mean for their marketing? People hire us because of the quality of our work, but they also hire us knowing that it's an experience to work with us. Like they, and that's why we promote so much of our personal brand and who we are on online People want to work with us for that reason. They know that they're, and, and also that they're going to get us consistently, no matter what, like whether that's an email or whether that's, you know, a Zoom call or whether that's a meeting or whether that's on set, like we show up consistently 150% anytime that we do business with folks. That's where our topic expert, Kelsey Rydell comes in. Kelsey is a business and marketing coach and the founder and chief visionary officer of Visionary Inc., where she helps aspiring and current business owners feel confident, grow their online presence, and work with more dream clients. When you define your core values, you end up attracting clients that have the same core values, and that's when you're actually working with dream clients, right? So the more you can even share what those values are and not be afraid to make them public, 
and just have them shine through in all you do, you end up looking at your clients going, oh my gosh, we all share a similar set of values. And that's because I established them and then I wasn't afraid to showcase them. In this conversation, we bring together Megan, Marie, and Kelsey's experiences and expertise to help founders understand the basics of marketing, building a marketing plan, and how storytelling evokes emotions and creates meaningful connections. When founders think about marketing, they often begin to visualize their websites and social media pages, but it's equally important to think about who you are who you want to be, and how you will show up for customers once they find you. Welcome to the show, Megan, Marie, and Kelsey. Thanks for having us. Excited. So let's dive in with a bit of context around our fabulous guests that we have here today. Megan and Marie, in your brand story video that you have called We Are Mirror Image Media, you shared that before being filmmakers, first you were twin sisters. Can you share more about how you began to create together as sisters um, and when Mirror Image Media was born? Yeah, I mean, it all kind of started like, I mean, I could go on forever about this, so I'll try to keep spark notes here, but Basically, it all kind of started really in high school. Like we were like the classic photographers in high school. There's always like a few of them. Um, and after our mom passed, we uh, decided to backpack to New Zealand. Um, we actually got permission somehow to graduate high school early and go. And our dad was like, come on, guys, like you got to film some videos. Like, don't just shoot photos. Like, I want to see what it's like down there. And we were like, dad, it's a horrible idea. And he like snuck this little crappy little old school, I don't even know what they're called, like those like shoot, point and shoot cameras. Um, and, and we started taking videos of our trip and just like posting them on social media. And that was like when Facebook was becoming more of a thing. Um, and then kind of fell in love with like video, like and looking back on them, they're so bad, but like we were obsessed with doing it. And then uh, we both went to Sanovex, took marketing degrees, business degrees, um, it's a university on the East Coast, if you aren't familiar. Um, and yeah, we got hired on the marketing team and we were basically in charge of like making all their videos for social media um, and beyond. And like we were also like in front of the camera and behind the camera. And then we kind of just started our company there. Like I think we were in like this design class or something and everyone had to choose a different business to kind of pick and do some marketing efforts towards. And we were just like, can we just do it on our own and like have our own business? And we like obviously killed the project because we like made a promo video, like made a website, like went above and beyond, not just like a brochure or something. Um, and then, yeah, we were like, we basically started our business when we were like 19, 20. And then from there, just like grew it more and more. And, and now we focus more on like documentary and commercial content, but through a doc-like approach. Um, and yeah, like social environmental impact stories is kind of our stick. But yeah, that's the shortest I've ever explained it. So I hope that I didn't miss it. It's still very long. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's basically how it started. Incredible. Incredible. Marie, anything to add? Yeah, no. It's, uh, yeah, it really, it, it stemmed from backpacking, just like documenting our travels. And then, you know, we were always kind of creative and like big nerds. And yeah, we were just completely self-taught. Um, you know, we saved a lot of money by not going to film school. That's for sure. A lot of the older guys in the industry get mad when we tell them we took the YouTube Academy, but that's essentially what we did. We learned online and just by doing, and I think you're seeing a lot of young people, um, pursuing, you know, video and photo content in that regard. So it works. 
Absolutely. And as entrepreneurs, it's very helpful to have access to a lot of free learning. So I, I love that, that your story illustrates the potential there. Awesome. Kelsey, oh, going over to you, you coach folks and really help them improve their marketing, grow through social media, build authentic relationships. We love all of the above. Uh, what was the moment that you noticed that folks are really struggling with this? And, and how did you then show up to support them through your coaching services? Yeah. So I guess I'll start this story by taking you back before I actually started my consulting and coaching business. So I spent about eight years working in an industry called experiential marketing. And for those who don't know, that's where you're essentially setting up experiences. And in our case, we were traveling around Ontario where I live uh, on behalf of a supplement brand. And we were creating these branded experiences that captured attention and built relationships with potential customers. And really, we were just on the front lines bringing a face to a brand. And it felt so natural to me. I loved my job. I was like the person who woke up every morning just thrilled to go to work. And I really found a dream job. Um, and during that time also, I did have this little entrepreneurial bug and I had gone to school to become a holistic nutritionist. So I thought, why don't I start a little side hustle? I have all this energy. Let's see what I can do. And this was about 10 years ago before online business was the norm. So a lot of my holistic nutrition peers were working in a traditional clinic or in an office. And I thought, let me try this online thing. So I started to, similar to Marie and Megan, do some self-studying of like how to grow an online presence. And as I dug into all these courses, I started to fall into this trap of thinking that I had to apply these strange marketing tactics of urgency and scarcity and funnel building and pouring all of your money into Facebook ads and doing a lot of icky sales tactics that, you know, were just... Uh, packed into a lot of these courses. And so I found myself in this weird dichotomy 10 years ago of having a marketing avenue that felt so authentic, supporting a brand and really feeling excited about what I was sharing and the customers that I was able to connect with. And then in my business that I was building, I felt like I was doing all of these other strategies that just didn't feel natural to me. And that's where I began to ask, if I'm going to build my holistic nutrition business online, is there a better way? And is there a way I can take what I'm doing in experiential marketing and actually bring it into the online world and maintain those genuine connections? And so that's where I really started to put together frameworks that I was using in the real world and actually bring them into the online space. And that's where it all began. And I started to share them with a lot of my peers, a lot of my colleagues, and lo and behold, they started working and they started feeling a lot better about marketing their business as well. So that's where it all kicked off. I love that. And I love just the intuition that runs through all of your stories of following, you know, your energy and where, um, you know, where your gut is kind of pointing you to. And I think that's so important in entrepreneurship. Follow that intuition that you have and what feels good, what doesn't, because um, that will, will really help inform where you should go next. We're going to provide some context around our case study of Megan and Marie. Um, and we'd love to, to get some more information around the pandemic. You know, obviously it's been such a challenging last couple of years. And it sounds like, you know, there were a 
couple curveballs thrown your way. So Megan, when the pandemic began, Mirror Image Media was obviously affected deeply with the loss of marketing dollars. We saw this across so many industries um, and also an injury that you experienced. Can you tell us you know, what that time was like for you and how it changed your business? Walk us through that story. Yeah, again, it's a long one. Yeah, like exactly like you said, I think marketing was on the bottom of people's priorities, especially in terms of business in the pandemic, people were just trying to keep afloat, let alone like spending spending dollars on, you know, video or commercial or photo or marketing in general. Uh, so it was wild. Like Marie and I were on like, I don't even know, in 2019 before the pandemic, I think it was like Marie close to like 40 or 50 flights. Like it was insane. We were our partners both joked that all we our niche was cross Canada series. Um, and we were so busy and like, we were ready to like have a bricks and mortar and like have a proper office, not work from home, hire some more people. Like we were ready for that level. And then the pandemic hit, you know, it's, it's the same for every business. All of us struggled. Um, and it, and it forced, you know, this, this message, you know, you hear this all the time. It forced us to all step back and, and re reassess like what our core values are, what we actually want to be doing, not running around like our chickens with their head cut off, like just like running around shooting so much stuff, like not having like, like our core values for sure, but not, not like thinking through things, just being like a classic small business. And just like, again, running around like crazy. Um, pandemic hit. Big yes girls. Big yes girls. Big yes energy. We don't have yes energy anymore. We do, but we don't. Um, anyway, so it just kind of like made us stop, step back, kind of reassess and like slow down because like, to be honest, I know like we're talking about marketing and PR and stuff, but like when you're a small business owner, as we're talking about, it's like you, there's no separation. There's, it's all integration with your personal and professional life. And it was becoming a bit toxic, especially like on our relationship as twin sisters, as you said, first and foremost, not business partners. Um, and it's, I, I also want to say that like, just because you love what you do, doesn't make it a toxic work environment when you were just like being a workaholic. And so the pandemic made us step back, reassess, really like think about like what we actually want to do, which is more like commercial branded storytelling, social environmental impact, and also doc documentary on the side because starving artist mentality is very real with documentaries. So there's always like one on the side for us. Um, yeah, so it basically like cleared our heads in a good but also struggling way. Um, and then as soon as it kind of cleared up in Nova Scotia, we were really blessed that there wasn't, you know, COVID was like not awful compared to especially like other parts of the of the, of the country. Um, and then, yeah, it was like I learned all this stuff. And then as soon as it got a little bit better, we just went back into our old habits, started working a bunch, big yes energy again, like kind of like desperate because like we had struggled financially. So we were just saying yes to everything and all of that stuff that I learned just went out the window. And then I got a concussion, a really bad one um, from surfing. And uh, yeah, it was awful. And I was actually like off screens and pretty much off work for like 10 months. Um, so it was like on top of the pandemic, what I learned, it was like, I didn't actually, like, I thought I learned. And then like, I really learned with my concussion. It was almost like the world being like, we are trying to teach you something. Please listen. 
And so that was really, really hard on, you know, my relationships with everybody. It was honestly like lots of depression. It was really bad. Um, I laugh at it now. But yeah, it was it was really hard on our business. And then Marie kind of just had to like take the reins because it was just the two of us. And, you know, with small business owners, it's like if something happens, we're kind of screwed. Um, and so, again, it kind of like made us extra reassess. And like, I remember just like missing shooting so much, missing storytelling, missing working with clients um, because it was kind of like this double situation where I was just like laying in bed all day and like super depressed and like just missed socializing and missed working on the stuff that we do. And like, we love what we do. Um, and I remember like walking on the beach one day and I just like, I had headaches every day for like 10 months. It was crazy. But I remember walking on the beach and thinking like, I want to shoot like a docu-series about like mental health and like the ocean or like just like manifesting it. I remember like journaling and like writing that like I wanted to work with Vice and like just really manifesting that in this like freaky weird way. And then I remember, um, you know, like a few months later when I started to get better, but not totally better, I was approached by this producer that was like, hey, there's this Vice docu-series with funding and you have to be under the age of 29 can you apply with me as a director? And I was like, are you joking? <laughs> um, and so that's kind of like a perfect example of like, yeah, intuition and like listening to yourself and like, yeah, having healthy boundaries and like being clear about like what you want to do, not in, not only in terms of marketing and PR, but like where you want to go with your business, like what niche do you want to have? And like really focusing on like social environmental impact stories for Marie and I. Um, but yeah, long story short, it was very difficult and challenging, but I uh, learned a lot, <laughs> basically. <laughs> no, thank you so much for sharing that, Megan. And, and that resonates so deeply with me that the universe really sends you these duplicate messages when it hasn't <laughs> sort of been confirmed um, and received properly. I've definitely experienced that myself of, of having to learn challenging lessons a couple of times before they actually sink in. And I think a lot of our listeners will resonate with that as well. Incredible. So Marie, you also had a concussion, which meant that you were away from the business as well. Walk us through what that was like, both of you navigating the pandemic in addition, in addition to these uh, health challenges. Yeah. Um, I'll try to keep it shorter than Megan, but it's on tangent over there. Um, yeah, no. So we, but first of all, I want, I just want to slip this in because it really changed, um, it really helped our business during the pandemic. We worked with this money coach, financial advisor, um, April Stroink in Halifax, and she helped us run this thing called Profit First, which is an accounting system, basically, um, where you like designate pools of your money. And it really like structured our business in terms of like being prepared in case something went wrong. And this was before the pandemic and also before Megan was concussed and then I was concussed. Um, I highly recommend folks to look into it. It's called Profit First. It like changed the way we do our business. Um, but yeah, so because of the Profit First system, we had, you know, the financial capacity to pull from <laughs> during those hard times, right? So Meg was off work for 10 months. She got a concussion from surfing. I was filming this surfing documentary on this uh, program in North Preston. It's like the largest and oldest indigenous black community in Canada. And they created the surf program for the kids. And we did this feature length documentary on the program. 
And Megan at that time had just got concussed. So I was directing, producing, shooting, um, the whole thing. And I was in the water three months after Megan received a concussion. I was filming these kids popping up on their boards. And honestly, it's like, it's more dangerous to be in that environment as opposed to like way out in the water with like pro surfers and 10 foot waves, because a lot of these kids are just learning how to surf. And anyways, I was filming a kid get up on their board and they fell off their board and their board hit me in the head. And I remember saying like, ow, but it wasn't like too, I remember it not, you know, just continuing to film. And it was too unbelievable to me that I was concussed. So I just denied it and kept working and then basically screwed myself over for three months. I was off work as well. So double concussion, it's almost too unbelievable to be true. Um, but I think during that time, especially with the concussions, but especially with the pandemic, you know, as, as small business owners, like the work-life balance doesn't really exist. It is kind of like work-life integration. So that time, you know, pulling back from our business, literally being forced to do so made us kind of reassess and reevaluate and reset really, um, in terms of like Megan said, creating healthy boundaries with work, um, and also being twin sisters first. Um, but yeah, I think it was a, you know, a vital time. It was, it was a necessary time for us looking back, you know, it was extremely hard, but in, in a lot of ways, I'm grateful for the learnings that came out of it. So. Unbelievable. That's not something you hear every day. Twin sisters getting twin concussions from surfing industries. Like, whoo. Incredible. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm, I'm glad though, that you could take that time you know, away from screens. That's been a really challenging, you know, part of this pandemic for so many and um, having that forced moment to reflect internally and not be constantly, you know, looking at all these various stimulating screens, I'm sure brought in a very different perspective. So glad that, um, you know, looking back on it now, you can be thankful for for what was certainly a challenging moment. Um, Kelsey, going over to you, you have a podcast, which we love called How to Apply Life Lessons to Business Growth. And I'm sure we're going to be learning a lot of the recommendations that come out of that that podcast here. Um, With Megan and Marie's experience with concussions and the pandemic and navigating being away from their businesses, um, clearly that really revealed a lot of important lessons for them. And in your coaching experience, this has been something that folks, um, you know, want to adopt in their marketing or brand, or is there some, you know, resistance to integrating life challenges and lessons learned in a business and being really transparent around that? What are you seeing with some of the clients that you're supporting? It's tough because I think Megan and Marie can attest to this. As service providers, we are not separate from our business. They are literally part of us. They're intertwined with who we are and... Our businesses are truly an extension of ourselves and a reflection of our passion, our commitment, our core values in life. And we often feel like without our businesses, we would be lost. Uh, Generally, we're like the spokesperson, we're the marketing person, we're the admin person, we're the HR person. We wear so many hats, like you said. And because of all of this, because of that crazy intertwinedness, uh, we also notice that when we're struggling in life, it often means we're struggling in business. But the cool thing is too, that it goes the other way, that when we are thriving in life, we're often thriving in business. And when we're growing in life, learning lessons, it might mean that we're going to grow in business. So it's kind of like these parallel lines that track. And so even though there might be resistance to applying your life lessons 
uh, to your business, you'll only become a better leader by taking what you're integrating. So whether it's, you know, how to navigate a concussion uh, and then asking yourself, what is this teaching me about business? In Megan and Marie's case, it might have taught them, we can't do this alone forever. That doesn't mean jump out and hire help right away and make crazy financial decisions that could impact the business, but it might have sparked something in them saying, oh my gosh, if we're unwell, that means our business is unwell. So perhaps on our vision board for next year or the year after, we want to have somebody else in line who can help us out or somebody else who can act as the director or the editors just in case something happens. And so I think there's so much to be learned. And often we think we can be, um, you know, just living our life and then business is totally separate. But I think the more practical answer is it is all intermixed. And if we can embrace that, um, then we can actually become better visionaries, better leaders, better entrepreneurs, uh, just knowing that it's not separate. Agreed. And it takes a lot of courage <laughs> to really put yourself out there as an entrepreneur. And I find, you know, product-based businesses have a different um, connection point that, you know, when you're offering a service, it's deeply personal. It's you, it's your creative energy. And, um, you know, you're often, as you mentioned, the face and, um, these types of businesses, I think can be really hard to navigate separation of, you know, if somebody doesn't like your service or, you know, you're not getting clients, you wrap that into your own personal value or your own self-worth in a different way compared to different types of industries that we've seen. Um, so that's a challenging additional layer on entrepreneurship already being very challenging. Uh, but thanks for those tips, Kelsey. That's that's helpful to know that, um, you know, we can really lean in personally into our businesses and that can actually help us be better leaders. So I want to do a deep dive in both of or all of your perceptions of marketing at the beginning of your businesses. Um, you mentioned that you're very self-taught. You've done a lot of exploration independently. Uh, but Megan and Marie, when you were building Mirror Image Media in the early days, is marketing something that you thought about early on? Did it come naturally to you? specifically with marketing in the, the journey of your business, where did that begin? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it was like this weird combination where like, yeah, we didn't go to film school, but we took marketing business degrees. So like having that marketing knowledge and foundation, but also like taking a business degree and having that accounting and like all of that stuff was definitely very helpful. I know like an undergrad is like a pretty big base, um, it was definitely helpful, but not necessary for sure. Um, because I know that so many business owners start without like any marketing knowledge or anything. I think that like for us, it, it's kind of like, it's coming back to the same message I, I'm feeling is like, yeah, for us, it was really about like selling ourselves. Like we are mirror image media. We are the brand. So if we can get in front of people and convince them that like they can trust us and they, you know, see see value in what we're trying to provide that's how we're that's how we're getting the clients that we work with um and so for us like promotion and like pr and all of that stuff is really important from the beginning and again like marie was joking like we were big yes girls we would go to so many events we were both working like a separate job four days a week and then doing like mirror image media meetings at lunch and like after work and like on the weekends and shooting. And then eventually we went out on our own when it was financially appropriate to do so. But yeah, I think like the marketing naturally came to us for sure, but also like having real insight into like our target demographic and like 
we had the opportunity to work with like a few business coaches and that kind of stuff. We went to so many events and like listened to so many like talks. And we also like filmed a lot of events that were like business focused. So like they were giving advice that was really helpful. Um, but some key insights, like for example, like our target demographic is not millennials, young people. Our target demographic is marketing directors and CEOs and business founders. And like those insights were really helpful from the beginning. It's like, oh yeah, we should actually be posting on LinkedIn more because like we're not targeting the end client. We're targeting these higher up people that can make decisions about budget and marketing dollars. Um, but yeah, so yeah, a bit of, a bit of both, but again, it's, it's really focused on the personal brand and like, if we can get in front of people, we know that we can get hired basically. Yeah. I think, I, I honestly, there's not much to add, but I just think, yeah, like really utilizing our personal brand and our ability to sell ourselves is what kind of made us stick out from other folks. Meg and I were going to networking events. We were publicly speaking in front of audiences. We were, you know, doing media interviews. Like we were doing everything and anything we could to put ourselves forward. Um, and I think that's what really, you know, drove our business and, and helped us to see the su success that we've seen so far. So Kelsey, with your clients and with other, you know, early stage business owners that you might be working with, what are the basics of creating a marketing plan? Where do you even begin when you're starting to approach marketing your business? Uh, what should it include? Any words of caution, <laughs> things to avoid in that process? Walk us through that. I always start even before the marketing plan. So before you bring in new leads and you get out there and you're doing the public talks and you're doing the networking, I always make sure that clients have the foundational four. So first, before you send a lot of traffic to yourself, uh, make sure, number one, you know exactly who your dream client is. And I think we've all heard that, um, you know, like Megan and Marie were saying, they figured out exactly who they were trying to target. So that's number one. Second, I always like to make sure you have some sort of remarkable offer. A lot of people try to just jump right into like, I need a marketing plan. I have a business but they haven't even perfected what they're selling and they're not getting five-star reviews because client delivery is still really messy. And so we don't want to bring in a bunch of new clients when you're not even able to churn out a predictably good product. So that would be second. Third thing quickly is to make sure you know what sets you apart. You know, there are a lot of filmmakers, cinematographers out there. So before you start spending all this time and money and resources trying to get attention Make sure that when you are going to get attention on your business, there is a unique tilt that you offer, right? It's like, why should people choose your videography business over everybody else who does it in the world? Because there's probably thousands and thousands and thousands of others that they could choose. So make sure you have that um, dialed in so that you can communicate it well. And then the fourth foundational piece before you even start your marketing strategy is just make sure you have kind of an easy path for clients to find out about you, connect with you, book a discovery call with you, and ultimately hand over their credit card and pay. So some people would call this a funnel. I don't love that word because it sounds too complicated and it gets a bad reputation, but it's like you don't want to bring a ton of people in but not know how to nurture them down into a paying client. So make sure that's seamless as well. And then from there, it's really just figuring out, like, where do I need to show up in order for people to become aware of my business? And so I like to think about it 
I'm a big cyclist, so I always think of everything in bike terminology. So I think of a bike wheel and at the hub of the wheel. So like the very center is your offer. So maybe that's um, doing a documentary and then all the spokes that come off the wheel. Those are the different marketing efforts that keep the wheel moving forward. And so generally we need like three, five or seven different spokes to keep the wheel from collapsing. Right. I think we can all agree upon that. So what you're doing is testing out what are those five different spokes that need to come off of the wheel to drive people into the hub, which is your offer. And that can change over time, right? Um, so you might find you're posting on LinkedIn every single day and you're like, oh my God, it's not working. That's fine. That spoke is broken. It's not going to be the one that brings anyone in. You've tested it for 90 days onto something else. And so it's constantly evolving, but you need to pick three or five or seven different pillars. So maybe that's LinkedIn, Instagram stories, building an email list, hosting a workshop once a month, and getting PR through podcasts. And test those out. Give it a chance. And you'll find that some of them are predictably, predictably bringing people in to your offer. And others, they don't really generate a lot of um, traffic or they don't generate much awareness. And so that spoke is broken, replace it with a new one. So kind of have that scientist mentality of this experiment might fail, but that's okay. It doesn't mean that we can't get up the next day and replace it with something else or try something again. So that's kind of how I see building a marketing strategy in the early days. And I think the most important reminder is that you're always testing and always iterating because what worked for you two years ago in finding clients may not work the same two years later. And it is okay to make changes. Uh, and you almost have to put constraints around yourself saying, we have to switch it up every six months because there's probably new opportunities or there's probably wasted resources, um, you know, doing things that we used to do that no longer serve us. I love that. That was so beautifully constructed, Kelsey. I really appreciate the visuals, the structure, um, that easy to follow kind of template of, of your four key areas to explore. Um, and I think you've pulled on something that's really challenging for many entrepreneurs to stay up to date with the trends in marketing that even myself, I come from a comms background, like, well, TikTok just totally, you know, changed the game here. And, you know, do you have to be on all platforms? Do you need to invest in fewer, but focus on quality? Where do you spend your money now? Because it's such a pay to play type situation. Um, it's challenging just to stay up to date with what is relevant, um, where you should be investing not only your energy, but your funding as well. Um, and I love that idea of almost writing that permission slip of saying every six months, we need to reevaluate all of these different spokes of the wheel because, you know, the world could be completely different. And people really struggled with that, I think, during the pandemic as well, when things went so online, you weren't relying on some of the more traditional methodologies or, or spokes that, um, you know, people were really comfortable with. So that flexibility is really important. Thanks for sharing that, Kelsey. I love too, Kelsey, what you said, like in the beginning, like getting clear on the dream client, because for us, Meg and I took this, we were in this thing called uh, purpose-led business school. And it was like six month program, basically, that allowed us to really hone in, like, you know, at the start of our business, what our values were and ensure that our values did align with the clients that we were working with. And that's been like our guiding light the entire time. And just like sticking with that um, has been really crucial. 
I love that too, because I think when you define your core values, you end up attracting clients that have the same core values. And that's when you're actually working with dream clients, right? So the more you can um, even share what those values are and not be afraid to make them public and just have them shine through and all you do, you end up looking at your clients going, oh my gosh, we all share a similar set of values. And that's because I established them and then I wasn't afraid to showcase them. The Startup Women Advocacy Network, SWAN, is a curated group of 13 women-identifying early-stage entrepreneurs who advocate and champion the needs of women entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast. Masagana Flower Farm is an experiential tourism destination, seasonal flower farm, and natural dye studio in Southeast Manitoba. At this Filipina-led small business, sustainable growing practices are always on their mind. Not only do they grow seasonal blooms and dye plants, they also make handmade, small batch, naturally dyed textile goods. Its unique and new tourism offering, Tinta, a dye your own wearable art experience, is launching in summer 2022. Lourdes Still is the creative behind Masagana Flower Farm and is our Manitoba Swan representative. Lourdes believes that growing joy and creating magic are right at our fingertips. Interested? Visit MasaganaFlowerFarm.com. The Wellness Exchange is an award-winning wellness store located in the heart of New Brunswick. They are committed to providing safe, effective, and trusted products for your entire family and are proud to offer the province's largest variety of wellness products. Owner and founder of the Wellness Exchange, Danielle Govin, is a multi-award winning entrepreneur who focuses largely on community outreach, education, impact, and environmental change within her industry. We are so proud to have her as our New Brunswick SWAN representative. Visit thewellnessexchange.ca. Visit www.startupcan.ca and head over to the Explore tab. Under Startup Women, you'll find more information about the Advocacy Network and the incredible work of these amazing founders. And so Megan and Marie, you've now clearly stated that you want to work solely with social and environmental impact folks and businesses. How do you make sure that they know who you are so that you can find each other? What does this process look like to create these matches um, to bring your ideal clients into the fold? Yeah, I think it's kind of like what we were saying, like that that business school thing that we were in, it was the purpose-led business school, so it was like purpose first. Or it was mostly like social entrepreneurs and like more socially, environmentally conscious folks through their business uh, value props. And it's interesting because Kelsey, you did just mention that like, don't be afraid of promoting that. And for us, it was like, okay, if we start promoting that we only want to do social and environmental impact stories, which is like, again, niche we're queer twin female sisters here. This industry is completely dominated by white cis men, completely dominated. We are very few, especially in Nova Scotia on the East Coast and in Canada that are you know, doing this as women and queer women. Um, and we wanna make an impact. And like, you know, being women and being queer women and having this experience, like making documentaries about social environmental impact stuff, that fuels us um, to wanna do this kind of stuff. And we were so afraid in the beginning because like in the beginning, we really wanted to focus only on social environmental impact stuff. That was like years ago. And there wasn't that many marketing dollars going towards that kind of stuff. It was a lot of nonprofits, social enterprises. It was a lot of very, very low budgets, if not any budgets. And we were willing to kind of put that work in to kind of like 
just because like we were so passionate about it. And to be honest, it was just like better storytelling. And it just like fueled our passion, I guess. Um, and we were kind of like almost afraid to like put that on our website or like only put us in that niche kind of category. Um, and then now you're seeing the world is like, like all marketing dollars are being spent on social environmental impact stuff, which is like the irony was that like, we are afraid that like, if we put ourselves in this little niche segue that like, we wouldn't be able to be sustainable financially. Um, and we would never be able to grow and like hire people, et cetera. But it like turned out, it was just ironic because here we are doing this and now we're known for this thing. And then when these stories come up and these organizations need videos and commercials and documentaries, they think about us because that is what we've been promoting ourselves for, for so long. Um, and also, I mean, we did a documentary on social impact, social entrepreneurs across Canada, social enterprise. We interviewed like 60 social entrepreneurs. We got an RV and we drove cross country. We, it was, it took years off our lives. It's a lot, lot of work. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we interviewed all these people. We also learned so much about that like social environmental impact space because we never took community economic development at university or any of that kind of stuff. Um, so it was a, a huge learning opportunity. And then, you know, we got to speak to lots of universities and lots of different like conferences and stuff about the documentary. Um, and that further promoted us to be known for this kind of, um, this kind of work. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just like, you know, the other thing that I, the, the last thing is again, talk forever on this answer is that like we're in a really unique position where like every every product or service that we make is essentially an advertisement for ourselves so like we're making these videos for these companies like for example like canoe 22 is a recent company they're going to post a video today for us it's the world championships for canoe and kayaks happening in nova scotia this year they're posting the video. We made three videos with them. They're posting a video today and they're making us as like a partner on Instagram. And they're tagging us and they're saying, grateful to work with me, Image Media, whatever. And they're putting in dollars to promote this. And it's essentially an ad for us. And we're cross promoting it. So it's like very unique. Like we, we live in this like very unique, awesome world where like clients are just pr promote, they're an extension of us, which is really cool. So yeah, that's my long-winded answer. Yeah, and and just to just some like just to add on to what Megan said, I will say like you know it, it wasn't easy from the beginning. Like it it all. I sometimes Megan and I look at each other. We're like we feel like we just made all the right decisions and we just got here and we like we feel like frauds half the time. But the imposter syndrome's real for many people, especially women. Um, but yeah, like. You know, Meg and I thought we were going to graduate university, put our big girl pants on, move to Toronto, work in agencies. Like, that's what we thought we had to do to be successful. And making a decision to stay in Nova Scotia, to make it work here, to really, yeah, define our niche of only working with clients that serve some sort of social or environmental issue. Like that, we stuck with that from the very, very beginning. And I think that's why we've seen the success that we have. It wasn't easy. And I will say like, in order to get there, we did actually, we did have to do a lot of, a lot of pro bono stuff, a lot of low budget work. Um, you know, some of the documentaries we, we made, like The Social Shift, for example, um, was like Megan said, it was a documentary on social entrepreneurship across Canada. That was a very low budget project, but that, 
elevated us to the next level. Not only did we learn so much from it, but you know, how many interviews did we get with local media, national media stations? You know, some of these like lower budget or passion project projects that we we got into, like that really elevated um, our company and where we are today. So that's just something I wanted to add. Very cool. Yeah, those like very strategic next right steps that are are anchored in this um, kind of core value and this this direction forward. As long as you're staying true to those values, hopefully that that will be the right guiding parameter and to bring you where you need to be. Awesome, Maria and Megan. So Kelsey, when entrepreneurs are trying to define who their ideal customer is, um, we see so often being people trying to be all things to all people. They offer every service. <laughs> They're you know yes yes people in every possible way. Um, are there any steps or exercises that you recommend um, to try to really narrow down who your ideal customer is? Yeah, absolutely. And I can totally identify with being a yes person too in the early phase Damn. of my business. Like <laughs> I just needed to keep the lights on. So of course I was going to say yes, if I truly thought I could help this person. Um, yes, there was imposter syndrome, but I think a lot of us fall into that trap of just being like, yes, I'll work with everyone. But you know, maybe it's a year or two years into your business, it is important to revisit who your dream client is. And at that point, if you have already worked with a roster of clients, you already have a portfolio, the easiest thing to do is just think about a past client you worked with that you absolutely loved, that you feel like it was such a reciprocal relationship where they got so much value out of the project together and also you loved every ounce of working with them and starting to think about why they came to you. What did they come to you for? What did they verbally say or in a testimonial say that they loved about working with you? Even reread the review they wrote about you on Google and see what are those key words that they said? Um, what results did this client achieve? And write that all into a profile and then ask yourself, if I was able to work with this person and I loved working with them, are there more businesses like them that have a similar mission, vision? And the answer is probably yes. And so if you want to make that your ideal customer profile, you can. And be certain that there are others that exist in the world similar to that client. But if you haven't worked with clients yet and you are still kind of in that exploratory phase of launching your business, I would just say to grab a pen and paper and just split your paper into two columns. And on one side, I want you to write Island A, like literally an island in the ocean. And on the other side, write Island B. And just picture two islands in the middle of the ocean. One island is a dark and stormy island. It's always, you know, a bad time there. Nobody's happy. There's a lot of unwanted problems on that island. And on Island B, it's a party. Everybody's happy. Their problems are solved. It is a sunny place and everybody wants to move from Island A over to Island B. So just start writing out all the different characteristics of what a client could be experiencing on Island A that you would like to help them with. So maybe they don't have a promotional video for their business. They don't know who to reach out to to support their marketing efforts. They don't understand how to storytell of why their business exists. So those would be on Island A. Those are unwanted problems. And then on Island B, write out all the things that are awaiting them once they work with you. 
They have an incredible promotional video for their homepage. They have a, a way to tell their story to their dream clients that communicates their values. And there you have it. You have your dream client right in front of you and you know where they are before they work with you, where they are after, and then just fill in the blanks of any other details you might need to connect with them. I love that. And that puts structure around like what are generally feelings. Like you feel like, oh, I love talking to this client or I really avoid answering emails to this client. It helps you conceptualize and actually write down pen to paper what it is about that relationship that, that you want to find more of. Is there such thing as being too narrow in the scope to Marie and Megan's you know, initial concerns around potentially being too niche? Do you see that happening with entrepreneurs as they identify their target audiences? You'll know if you're too narrow because you won't be attracting clients or maybe you're just not connecting with anybody, but it's usually not that you're too narrow. It's that you're using the wrong words. So it's like sometimes we put our marketing in our words when really we should be thinking, okay, what would this client be complaining about if they were out for a beer with their best friend? They'd be like, shit, people just don't understand like how important it is to have a promo video. So then in your marketing, you should be saying, um, you know, maybe you've realized that you don't uh, or you need a promotional video for your marketing material. So again, it's just flipping like what you think uh, the word should be, but actually listening to your client. And that can help you to find those dream clients um, who are using niche language, but we got to put it in their words. Very cool. And so we mentioned earlier the idea of experiential marketing, which is something that I'm personally very interested in and that I think um, is so creative when I look at so many different marketing tactics. Kelsey, can you walk us through you know, what is experiential marketing? How can entrepreneurs implement it into their business once they've identified these ideal clients? Um, and what works and what doesn't through your experience? So when it comes to experiential marketing, it's really about getting away from that mindset that marketing's job is just to sell. Instead, with experiential, we're thinking solely about inviting potential clients into some sort of experience where they can try the product or experience your magic, and then they'll make an informed decision because they will have had such an emotional connection to the brand that you don't need to sell them anything. So often, people will come to me saying, how do I convince more people to work with me? And I'm like, you shouldn't have to convince people to work with you um, in the traditional sense because then they'll have buyer's remorse. If you push them into a decision that they didn't originally want to make, that's not good for any party. But if you can invite people into some sort of experience and they feel the magic that you provide, they see the benefit right away because they're like, whoa, this is really powerful stuff. They're going to make a decision on their own that they want to work with you. So experiential can be really powerful. For, so for somebody um, like Megan and Marie who have a production company, what they could do is potentially show more behind the scenes of what the experience is like to hire them as this twin team that's going to create a really powerful video for you. So that could be one idea. 
they could offer unique touch points at the initial proposal meeting. So maybe they sit down in an office with some potential clients and they're wearing branded merchandise, or maybe they show a video right away to the client before they even say a word. Or maybe they send a thank you note afterwards with a $5 gift card to the local coffee shop. These are all experiential touch points. Or perhaps they have their own promotional video that really showcases the core values and how they bring those to life in all that they do. Or maybe they decide to host an open house, like come in and chat with us and see why we're different. Check out our camera equipment behind us. Look at this poster. It's a photo I took in New Zealand. So, you know, you can kind of get creative with experiential marketing, but it's asking yourself, how do I bring the experience to life and allow someone to take our services for a test drive so that they can truly just fall into our world and see if this is the right fit for them? <laughs> I'm like laughing. I'm like listening to what you're saying. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Like that is what we like. Okay. Honestly, Small business owners are like not, this is why this podcast is so important because like, it's like, we need to like write this stuff down. You know what I mean? We need to like be strategic. Right. I have just like winged everything, but like are still doing everything that you're saying, but haven't had like strategic meanings about it. It's just like naturally happening. Like you're talking about like the video, like having a promo video, like our reel, if they're called reels in, in production, reels never include directors like they don't include the voiceover of the director they don't include anything about the director it's literally just showing the content and the content speaks for itself and like we decided we didn't want to do that so like we made we are mirror image media which is like our landing page video it's like we're queer twin sisters we love impact blah blah, blah. and it like shows us behind the scenes and in front which is like interesting because it's exactly what you're saying it's like i'm realizing like that is like different, you know what I mean? And like, even like the card thing, like Ray and I, for example, like when we were big guest girls way back in the day, <laughs> not anymore. Um, yeah, there was like all of these things that like really helped us. I think like also coming out of university and like being young women as well, like people just like wanted to support us. And we had like such a big network in our community of like friends of parents and like older diff different folks that like we really could like reach out and like ask for favors and not be, not be afraid of that. But like, there was one winter we like hired this photographer to get, take like really dumb winter Christmas photos of us, like Christmas hats. And we were just like mocking, like kind of like the lifestyle photos that people always take. And we were just like lying down, like on each other, like at this park and just like pretending to like be ridiculous. And we sent it out to like 150 influential people across Canada and then they would like put it on their fridges or like in their offices and then it would like spark conversation with people but yeah like sorry to drop but like just strategic stuff like that it is so interesting like trying to think outside of the box and like I, like you're saying Kelsey to like do this strategically and not just like have an idea and like run with it like the next day <laughs> so important. yeah I love what you said too about the emotional connection the emotional appeal because I think that shows up in any aspect of marketing, whether that's, you know, ex experiential marketing or not. Um, and, you know, that's, that's why folks come to us because we create an emotional connection in the storytelling that we tell. And I think the more that you can create an emotional connection with your audience or your viewers or whoever it is, um, 
the more they'll feel aligned and the more that they'll want to work with you. Yeah. And I love the idea too, or that you're saying about sending out like funny Christmas cards. And I think when you're saying we just need to be more strategic about it, all you need to do to be strategic is blueprint that into next year. That's it. Yeah, well, so we, we don't that's need, all to, you need like, to do. <laughs> you don't need to go into like these formal meetings. That's not you. Just ask yourself, what have we done in the past that's worked? And how do we make that a repeatable system so that we're not constantly thinking, oh, there's a million marketing ideas in my head. No, no, no. Focus on the ones that work and make sure you're doing them on a structured system. So whether it's daily, monthly, weekly, annually, and that's your marketing plan. I love it. So we're going to definitely go through more on the tactical side to also see what's worked um, in many businesses that that we're chatting through today. Uh, But Kelsey, going back to the point around personal brand, this I think is something that entrepreneurs really struggle with, with finding the difference between um, who they are and who their business is. Do you have any advice on how to enter into that conversation, maybe not necessarily structuring it, but um, how do we find that balance or that intersection or that comfortable alignment that um, is sustainable as an entrepreneur? Definitely forget about balance uh, because I feel like a personal brand is not balanced and it's also not static. Like just as your life and your business go through ups and downs, which we already talked about, so will your personal brand. And the key is to embrace that ebb and flow and actually to use it to your advantage. So use the low points of your life or low points uh, that you're going through as an opportunity to reflect on what's working and what isn't at this point and use the high points to actually build momentum and to reach new heights. Um, So I'd say with a personal brand, one of the keys is just staying flexible, stay adaptable, And in order to make your personal brand remain strong, I think you have to be open to shifting when life throws stuff your way. So I would say just know that like you can be yourself in order to grow your business. And it's often times when you showcase those highs and lows, those ebbs and flows that people relate the most to you, right? When you show them that, you know, somebody important in your life passed away, you have a whole uh, group of people who reach out and say, I also went through that. That's a point of connection that might lead to somebody hiring you down the line because they feel, um, you know, most similar to you guys as videographers versus somebody else. Um, And then similar when we share our visions or our highs in life, like I really want to do this big project and you want to manifest the documentary with Vice, you'll have people who reach out and say, that is so cool. I've never heard anyone with such a big dream before. By the way, uh, could you do this project for me? So it's like when you share those different moments, you actually just create these opportunities to pe- for people to feel more connected with you, which often leads to client relationships because all client relationships start with a connection. So how are we going to make that connection? Showcase your brand. Don't be afraid to share the highs, the lows, the in-betweens. I love that. And to Maria and Megan, the who of your company you've mentioned has, has really evolved and been much more front and center in how you market yourselves now. Um, were there any really challenging moments in that journey of figuring out how you were going to position yourselves as unique founders? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is interesting. Like, just like reflecting on it as Kelsey's talking, it's like there is a choice whether you want your 
personal brand to be at the forefront. And I think it's like pretty common with most smaller businesses because like you are the brand basically starting out. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, I even think of like my partner is a photographer and she like doesn't ever post her face on like anything. And I'm just like, I, I find it such an interesting, like we kind of like poke at each other because like we do a lot of behind the scenes and stuff. But like, again, when we look at the analytics on Instagram and Facebook of what's getting the most traction, it's always the photos of the two of us or like us holding cameras or that kind of thing. Like people want to see us. They don't necessarily want to see like, I mean, they think it's cool, like the testimonials and the branded storytelling and all that stuff, but like they're following us for a reason. And like, kind of like what you're saying, Kelsey, like really showing, like being vulnerable, being open, you know, like we've, I think like the internet has our whole life story, like every high and low, but I mean, it's just like, it's again, it's a way to connect with people. And like, I, as you talk, like I even just like went on our website, I'm just like looking at, I mean, most of the stuff that we do isn't like. Um, I mean, we want to move more on like kind of like commercial kind of like concept driven stuff, but it's all mostly real people, real stories, like literally on our website, it's like everything from a Mezcal brand to like a jewelry company to like a surf program to a lawyer to a vision therapist. They're all integrating real stories, whether it's the brand, like the brand founder story and the person behind it, or it's customer testimonials. Because again, it's like, how do you evoke emotion? You can only evoke emotion through commercial concepts if they're like, I don't know, like really, really compelling. It takes a lot of work and a lot of dollars to make that happen properly. But when you're telling someone's real story, it's like you're going to connect within five, 10 seconds compared to that. Um, so yeah, long story short, yeah, making that decision to like, I think it, it, it's a mix like on our socials and website and stuff. It's a mix of like, the personal like obnoxious queer crazy twins that like make fun of each other in stories like marie's always like zooming in and like making fun of me and like calling me the bag bitch and stuff sorry i don't know if we're allowed to swear um and then like also the impact so it's kind of like yeah a lot of like emotional connection with like social env environmental impact stories but also like the goofy like hilarious side of like what you get when you hire us kind of like what kelsey was saying yeah, it's like kind of twofold, um, just again to echo what Megan said. Um, but yeah, twofold in the sense of like, people hire us because of the quality of our work, but they also hire us knowing that it's an experience to work with us. Like they, and that's why we promote so much of our personal brand and who we are on online, um, because people want to work with us for that reason. They know that they're, and, and also that they're going to get us consistently, no matter what, like whether that's an email or whether that's, you know, a zoom call or whether that's a meeting or whether that's on set, like we show up consistently 150% anytime that we do business with folks. Um, but also from, from similar to what Megan was saying from the standpoint of the clients that we work with, like we're always trying to push our clients to not just tell us, tell the, in their key messages in the script or whatever it is, what they're selling, tell us about them as founders, right? Like, so for example, Bogo's Law, this law firm contacted us in Toronto and they were like, we want to do video work with you. We were like, so random, but we're here for it. Let's work with this law firm. And we were talking to the founder and we were just like trying to come up with a unique way to tell their story. And then he kind of like casually mentioned that 
he was a boxer. And I was like, Hey, tell me more about that. And he was like, what I learned in the ring translates into the work that I do. Like we eventually pulled that out of him and we're like, okay, there's the video. The video starts with him boxing. Like that makes it so much more interesting and connects the viewers um, with the story on such a, you know, more compelling level. So, so that's really important as well. So Megan and Marie, when you look at the growth of mirror image media, we've mentioned a number of different tactics, spokes on the wheel. Um, Are you able to identify any particular marketing tactics, storytelling initiatives, positions that really resonated with your audience and then led to profit or business growth in some way? We mentioned this cross Canada tour is one of those, those elements. Are there any other examples that come to mind? Um, Yeah. I mean, Lots of examples. I think like something that's consistently threaded through most of the work that we promote at least is um, it's really like kind of what we've been saying again, this kind of more like doc-like approach where it's like real stories first. Um, And like when we talk with clients, it's like we have that preliminary meeting where it's like, what, who is your target demographic? Because where are they on social media? How long should these videos be? Should they, are they 15 seconds? Are they 60 seconds, et cetera? Like, you know, we just did a commercial series with Discover Halifax, which essentially is like tourism, Halifax, whatever. Um, and that was one of the biggest gigs we worked on. We had like a 20 person crew. It was unreal. Um, and yeah, it was for them. It was like, they're trying to attract people to come to Halifax this summer and it's younger folks. So like those videos, they can't be over 15 seconds. Like they're going to be really quick, quick videos. Um, but also in some way, like tell somewhat of a story, which like, obviously I won't go into detail with those, but yeah, I think like finding our niche with impact branded storytelling, and then also like having that really doc like approach. I mean, the view, the goal is really to always get people scrolling on Instagram interested. You want those people to actually click and be engaged, not just click because it's like flashy. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the social shift was an ama- was an amazing documentary that we did years ago. We can't even watch it anymore because we're like, there's so much that could be approved. Um, the Vice docu series that we did on on uh, mental health and water, um, which was awesome. And then yeah, our most recent documentary on the North Preston Surf Program. I know I'm not really answering your. Um, question but yeah again like storytelling real stories at the forefront super cool yeah just over and over consistently um bringing out an emotional appeal emotional connection a human appeal that's our approach and i mean storytelling is one of it's proven to be one of the most like longest historically standing methods of like communication um, so there's a reason why it works. Um, and I think too, there's a reason why we're seeing so much more of that storytelling, authentic storytelling, and also docs, doc series and documentaries in general pop up more and more. So very cool. So Kelsey, when you're working with with entrepreneurs who are trying to figure out what tactics are going to work for them to actually invest their energy and time, some organizations have entire teams dedicated to just the marketing function. Um, what does regular marketing look like for a small business? Um, and when you're looking at different tactics, do you have any recommendations on where to start? So going back to kind of the wheel concept, I would just say to book a meeting with your marketing department, even if it's just you once every six months and to basically write out all of the tactics that you are currently deploying 
And then to give each of them a ranking from zero to 10 on how effective they have been at growing your business and bringing you new clients. So for example, if one of your marketing tactics was to uh, host a masterclass on how to create a docu-series for your business, but you didn't see any return on investment, no signups came in from it, uh, nobody ended up becoming a client, you'd probably rate that at a zero out of 10. Uh, however, if you have been showing up consistently on LinkedIn and spending 20 minutes a day direct messaging the marketing directors of various companies, and you've actually seen three projects come in from doing that, and maybe you've messaged 100 people in the last six months, you're probably going to rank that, especially if your projects you know, are bringing in a significant chunk of income for you, you're probably going to rank that at an eight or a nine out of 10. And when you do this for your entire marketing strategy over the course of six months, you're going to have some very clear winners. And then what I would say is double down on the winners and eliminate the ones that are not producing results. I love it. Simple enough. Like <laughs> we just have to put that into practice. That sounds great, Kelsey. Oh, and one thing to add to that, never rank, never rank any of your marketing pillars at a seven. I'm sure you have heard this thing before, but when we're unsure if something's working for us or not, we tend to default to, yeah, let's call that a seven out of 10. It's doing just fine. Like maybe the blog is a seven out of 10. Don't use the number seven. Instead, go to a six, which means uh, it's probably not working that well. Or if you have to go up to an eight, you're like, no, like we're being way too, um, you know, conservative here, eight out of 10, that's working really, really well. We should go ahead with it again. Love that. That's such a good, even for myself, I'm like, yeah, seven is just your kind of like throw it in <laughs> kind of metric. That's a good, great reminder, Kelsey. Um, so I'd love to quickly talk a little bit about public relations and looking at the PR side of things, looking at some awards and how that can bring, um, you know, new business coming into the fold. Megan and Marie, you've been featured on platforms like Global News, Vice Behind the Scenes, uh, and then you won the TELUS Small Business Hero Award, which is incredible. When it comes to public relations and these types of awards, there can be so much preparation, applications, work behind the scenes before this type of, new, type of news is you know, released publicly and everyone thinks that it just sort of came out of nowhere and you know, is just this great recognition. How did you go about getting recognized or um, you know, building relationships with some of these platforms? Can you give our listeners some insights into how these features came to be? Yeah, it's like, it's funny because it's like, I wonder like what percentage of stuff is actually successful or that we get versus what we apply for. Like, I feel like filmmakers and like, even like bidding on commercials and like putting in treatments and stuff, like there's so much rejection in this industry. I mean, in general for small business owners, everyone can relate to that. There is so much rejection and like what you see on social media is more of like the stuff that isn't rejected, for example. Um, I can't even tell you like how many treatments and applications and stuff that we've applied for that like have got rejected. Um, so yeah, it's, it's about putting in that work. And like, I think that's something that people need to talk about more. It's like this stuff. And I appreciate you addressing that this stuff is like, it doesn't just come from the sky. It comes from years of work, like the quality of your work, the efforts, the marketing efforts, et cetera. And then like lots of applications, lots of networking stuff. Um, you know, there's, there's so much prep that goes into this kind of stuff. 
yeah, I think, and again, it's like, we're in a specific industry where it's, it's again, like I said, it's like our videos speak for themselves and then our clients promote them. So it's kind of like a lot of word of mouth and, and we're a big fish in a small pond. And so it's like, you know, <laughs> just like, yeah, new stuff, people get excited. Like Marie and I were both also on the Amazing Race Canada, which also helped our brand a little bit, I'd say, mostly for like kids following us two years ago or three years ago. Um, so, and like, they, they'll make sure that it's known that we're filmmakers, like that is helpful. Um, but I mean, like, even like the TELUS small business um, grant that we got, I mean, TELUS has been amazing. Uh, I was honestly like, TELUS called, it was TELUS business that called. I hope that someone's listening that works for TELUS because it was really funny. TELUS business called me and I was at an Airbnb and I was like on vacation for once. And I was like, tell us business. And Marie was like, just answer it. And I was like, hello. And they were like, hi, is this Megan? I was like, yeah, I'm really busy. Like, sorry. They were like, can we just have five minutes of your time? I was like, okay, fine. They were like, yeah, you just won $10,000. So I was like, Sh-. And like, at that point, I actually had forgotten that I applied for it. Because again, it's like we apply for so many different things. So there's two, there's two realms here. Like good storytelling speaks for itself. So a lot of like the documentary, a lot of like like we work on pretty unique, really like really impactful stories. So a lot of that speaks for itself. And there's a lot of media buy-in and not buy-in, a lot of media that come to us that want to interview us and promote that message and stuff. But there is also a lot of money and a lot of energy and a lot of time that we invest in when it comes to like cold emailing like 50 media outlets to be like we just released this can you feature us and blah 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 or like for example like the chambers of commerce for example just reached out to us and they were like we want to do an interview with you folks um oh we just realized you're not actually members like you know and so we pay the money to be the member but then we're on the front cover or or even um you know the screen nova scotia awards that's this weekend so uh, Freedom Swell, the doc that we made, is nominated for Best Documentary at these awards. But, you know, we also have to become a member and spend a few hundred dollars to do that. So there's like little investments here and there. But I feel like, yeah, the more that we say yes to when it comes to yeah public speaking or investing in, in you know, like whether it be Chambers of Commerce or Screen of Scotia, whatever it is, I think those are all... Um, really good options to consider and and sometimes you do have to invest a little bit of money and also time and energy into those things to get that sort of traction so I don't know if that totally answers absolutely well I think the (laughs) but it doesn't happen overnight you know I I think people have this idea that all of these opportunities just come into your inbox and um, you know for so many um, small business owners it can feel so daunting to even try to you know, enter into those spaces. Uh, but I think the lesson here is go for it, you know, apply, see what can come from it. And that traction breeds more traction often that once you win one award, that another award potentially comes after that. Uh, Kelsey, do you find that that's been really helpful for businesses that are trying to differentiate their, themselves, trying to invest more in those types of recognitions? What does that do for early founders? It's so important because I think there are two ways to grow your business. You can either try to bring the audience to you by posting your own content and like continuing to try to get people to come into your world, or you can simply like pick yourself up and transplant yourself into an existing community or somebody else's world. So that's so valuable. I would say at minimum, block off one hour a week to do reaching out and follow-ups. And that's something that I think we're all really 
bad. We just push it aside and we're like, that's not important, but you need to reach out to startup women podcast, or you need to reach out to, um, the local newspaper and, and pitch and share what you're up to. And you probably won't hear back from like 85%. However, if the 15% do reply and then you get put in front of 5,000 new faces, that's way more strategic than trying to bring 5,000 people to your platform. So really good opportunity. And I think we could all carve out a bit more time to do it. Yeah. Even having those like, Kelsey, everything you're saying is exactly like, I mean, it's like you do this for a living, but like, yeah, having, having like, like goals, even like weekly, really simple hat, like for habits, it's like, you need to make it really, really simple. So that, so that like, there's no point that you're like, I can't do this. It's like, it's too easy. It's like, if you start running, it's like you go running for five minutes a day. It's like too easy not to do it for us. Like, yeah, there was a time that like Marie and I were like, okay, hey, let's reach out to like five people a week each. And like, that is so powerful if you stick with it. Like, I can't even tell you the amount of random people that I've messaged on Instagram, seen a film, message a director. Like Marie and I just had a chat yesterday morning with this amazing filmmaker, director in Australia, woman, amazing human. And like random things, like I see this TELUS thing, I'm like, for sure. I'll probably, I probably won't get it, but I might as well apply. You know what I mean? And like, if you get it, it's sweet. Like there's, there was a couple music video grants that were like really competitive with RBC. Marie was like, there's no way, don't even bother putting the work in. And we got two consecutive years, both years. Like, it's like, you might as well put yourself out there. Cause what's the worst people are just going to reject you, which like, it's part of this whole thing is being a business owner is rejection. <laughs> so like get used to it, I guess. Yeah, that's my other tangent. <laughs> so good, though, to have those, like, like I mean, Kelsey, like you said, I really liked what you said about, like, don't make it formal because you guys aren't formal. Like, you guys are never going to do that. Be realistic and, like, just, like, have some numbers in your brain every week. Like, do this every week. Make it super simple. And then it's not daunting because then it's, like, oh, no, like, all these other production companies are getting this these awards and things, and, like, how do they do it and whatever. It's, like, just start mm -hmm. small and then commit to it. I love it. So kudos to you. <laughs> Atomic <laughs> Habits is also a fantastic book if you're looking for a recommendation on how to build those types of habits. Definitely recommend that read. Indeed. Awesome. Uh, so in terms of um, elevating some of the stories that Marie and Megan that you've been working on, some of the videos that you've been creating, stories that you've been sharing, um, can you share how one of your films has helped a business or brand grow or reach a new milestone? We'd love to use this moment to amplify some of your existing work. Yeah, I think the documentaries, again, like the documentaries are not our main focus. They're on the side always because they're the serving artists, like I said, is real with documentaries. But I mean, like the North Press and Surf program is definitely stands out for us. I was a feature length film with CBC. It's on CBC Gem for free. Folks can watch it who are listening. Um, and that was amazing because that program really started with not much funding, um, not much support, lots of volunteers. And, you know, we made this documentary with Lamia, the protagonist in the film, um, and, a, and, a, and a great team. And it elevated the program. It got obviously lots of media traction, et cetera. TD actually like came in and ironically, we were like part of the commercial team that were working on it and surprised Lamia with like, what was it, right? Like $50,000 oh, yeah. or something, yeah. like all new surfboards, a new trailer, like that kind of stuff. 
And that was obviously the program speaks for itself, but like the documentary helped create some more awareness on it. Um, I think that for us, it's, it's less like um, quantitative, like stats or data on like the impact of our, our content and more of like qualitative, you know, like Marie and I worked with uh, the Get Real movement, which like they basically speak to high schools and elementary schools, junior highs across the country about unlearning homophobia and transphobia. And they do a lot more than that now. And we worked with them, you know, a while back. And we shot, there was some some content of us even in it. And even like shooting more like queer content with pride and et cetera. Um, I can't tell you the amount of like youth that have approached us that have been like, you changed my life or like following you guys like makes me comfortable with who I am, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, the Canadian Cancer Society, we've worked with uh, a bunch. As I mentioned in the beginning, like our mom passed from cancer when we were younger and we've done a lot of like speaking gigs with them, but also like video content with them. And, you know, the, I mean, they have the data obviously, but like, it's all qualitative really. Um, and if, if, if it's, if it means one person shifting perspective about racism or homophobia or, you know, even cancer, et cetera, um, then we feel like we're doing our job and like, ultimately life is short. So it's like, we're so, we're so, I guess, like, yeah, lucky to be in this industry. And obviously like there's lots of work that goes into it, but Again, focusing on our value proposition of social environmental impact storytelling is yeah. it's the best. And we get to do and, it. Too. And working so. too with like a lot of also like a lot of nonprofits or or fun like charities who are trying to raise money. Like the storytelling approach is so successful. Like the Canadian Cancer Society every year has this large event with like a thousand people. And they've now for two years got us to make a video about someone's story and that's what they show at the end of the event and it literally gets people to take money out of their pockets they raise thousands and thousands and thousands of more dollars because of that video because it 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 is that emotional appeal and that emotional connection and viewers can see themselves in this person's story and it's yeah it's profound it's you know storytelling it, it is profound so well and a privilege, yeah, to be able to tell those stories. I love that connection. And, and yeah, it's it's unbelievable to see these stories come to life and the creativity that that you clearly demonstrate in bringing these stories. Like, it's, it's really, really inspiring. Kelsey, do you have any other recommendations to entrepreneurs that are trying to evoke emotion through storytelling? Maybe it's not necessarily through video, uh, but to facilitate these really meaningful connections. Any final tips for our audience when trying to leave an emotional impression on our on our audience? Yeah, I would just say no matter where you're showing up, what marketing channels you're choosing, like you as the business owner, as the personal brand, as the service provider, you need to be the most excited person about what you're doing and why you're showing up. And I think the tendency is to kind of dim our own light and be like, hey, I'm doing this event. Does anyone want to come? Or I'm teaching this workshop. Does anyone want a ticket? But it's like you are the spokesperson for that workshop. And if you are not conveying that this is going to be the best hour that anyone has ever spent to learn about filmmaking, nobody's going to show up, right? So I'd say to evoke emotion and, you know, to really get the message across, like try to turn up your light before you put yourself in front of people. And I know we all have bad days. Like, believe me, I wake up, I experience the dips like anyone else. 
but I make a strategic operational choice to show up in a big way when I'm trying to promote the business or trying to share that I have something wonderful to offer. So just picture a little dimmer switch and turning it up and then get on stage and then write the social media caption and then film an Instagram story. So just make sure that this is a business decision and you're going to give it your all in this moment. Love that. I love that. And and brightening up that dimmer switch is great, but also not lighting yourself on fire with too much light and too much yes and too much. It's finding that balance as well because yeah. <laughs> um, we, we want to find some type of balance in this entrepreneurial journey. But I love that visual, Kelsey. So what do you think we're going to see more or less of in the future? Um, does anyone have any bold predictions around what the future of storytelling might be, which platforms are, are going to boom? Um, Kelsey, what are your thoughts of what we can expect in the marketing world moving forward? I think going back to what Marie said earlier about storytelling being one of the most historical and oldest forms of marketing, I think maybe five years ago we got away from that and we were like, just hide behind your phone and your computer and promote yourself on social media and just do the whole online thing. But I really think people are wanting to go back to those genuine relationships. Word of mouth is important referral, and you can have a referral marketing strategy too, uh, but that's going to be important and just making genuine relationships and being a kind human being often goes a long way. What about you, Marie? Yeah, I, I, similar to similar to what she just said, more authentic storytelling. Um, I think, unfortunately, shorter storytelling. <laughs> Like it's, you know, the, the statistics, it's just like the drop-off rate at like three seconds, four seconds. It's just so real. Um, so yeah, like shorter versions of video content. Um, and then, yeah, I think more and more something to be mindful of too is like, we are seeing authentic story-driven content really exceed. Um, but at the same time, there is a whole world of social washing and pink washing and green washing um, that you're seeing larger corporations uh, take part in. So being cautious of that, I think more and more people are cautious of that. You know, you see a tea commercial and it's about two queer youth and it's just like tr trying to understand, like my hope is that these larger corporations who are participating in that story-driven content that you know, that, that they are doing it right when it comes to every aspect of their business, when it comes to their hiring policies or et cetera, et cetera, not just based on what they're trying to sell to the end consumer. So I think more and more people are being more mindful of social washing um, and, and greenwashing. And uh, yeah, as, as viewers to also be more mindful of that as well. I love that. And then support the comp the content that you feel is very genuine. You as a consumer and as the person receiving a lot of this material, you have you know a role to play in, in supporting that type of content and amplifying it even further. I love that, Marie. Megan, bring us home. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking that like the same point that Marie was saying. It's like, it's important to actually be authentic in the storytelling and like obviously visual content, photo, video, that whole bit is like king, queen <laughs> right now. Um, and so, yeah, just like being mindful of like who you're choosing to cast, but is it like authentic? You know what I mean? And not just like ticking boxes and like, yeah, just being mindful of like marketing communication what's being out there, but also like 
what's in your business, who are the employees that are actually in your business if you have employees? Um, and just like being authentic in a way that's not like Marie said, social, social and greenwashing where it's like, you know, if your products are like 10% sustainable or like whatever, like don't call them sustainable. Like they're not sustainable. Like we all have so much work to do. And I know like as small business owners, it's really hard and it's like financially difficult to like do the right thing in the right way. But like, if you make those decisions earlier on, you're going to see the results. It's going to be sustainable in the end, you know, like, yeah, just choosing the right materials and choosing the right stuff and choosing the right folks in front of the camera that are like, being recognized as testimonials or like in a commercial or something for your company. Um, we all just have so much unlearning to do. And um, I think that's, yeah, that's, you know, we're in a, we're in a wild, wild world right now in terms of environment and people. Um, and it's through business that it, it needs to change. Right. And it's, it's going to start with smaller organizations. And that's why you're seeing like the tea companies, like Marie said, and the banks, et cetera. Like, of course we need the support, because it, we need it. It's just like this chicken and egg thing. Um, but yeah, just being mindful of like the impact and like how you can show up in your business in terms of impact um, as well. Could not agree more. And as consumers, we're seeing the appetite is there. The price points are shifting to accommodate more socially conscious businesses and products in general. Um, and we have to, we don't have a choice with climate change and so many things that, um, you know, are, are, um, unavoidable at, at this juncture in where we find ourselves. And we need to commit as entrepreneurs, as nimble business leaders to make some of those commitments because we can. Um, and big, large corporates will follow suit if there's some pressure there. So I think there's great, um, you know, all around change that we can make as a collective. I just, I just want to say too, it, it doesn't have to be daunting. Like if anything, business is an opportunity to address these larger societal and environmental issues. So using 100%. business as a force for good and, and genuinely making those decisions um, is so, it's just so important. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. Thank you so much, Marie. Thank you so much, Megan. This has been such a fun and informative conversation. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your honest accounts of the trials and tribulations of being entrepreneurs, um, especially complemented by, you know, pandemic and health and all of the regular things that happen throughout life. Um, this is not a linear journey for any of us. And I appreciate you sharing your stories with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. To learn more about Mirror Image Media and meet the twins behind the films, visit www.mirrorimagemedia.ca. To connect and learn more from Kelsey, head to www.kelseyridel.com. Thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast, where we are committed to telling the stories of women entrepreneurs and uncovering actionable advice that goes beyond the surface level. The Startup Women podcast is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles and is made possible with the support of BDC and Scotiabank so we can continue to power women identifying entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca to explore the Startup Women flagship program and access advisory support and free resources. Be sure to check out the show notes to access important links, resources, and information that we mentioned during today's episode. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to another episode next month.